The next movie is one of my favorite films of all time. It's the John Waters film, Serial Mom. The movie is from 1994, which, as I explained during the episode, is apparently the defining movie year for me, your host, or one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo, and really a kind of important year for me in terms of mental health, as that's when I was 14 years old, and if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that's around the time when I was going through some trauma. But unlike the movie Natural Born Killers, which is also from 1994, and a movie Brandon and I talked about on an episode a while ago, check it out if you have a chance, I don't think my love for Serial Mom is related to nostalgia and connecting it to important milestones, like perhaps my affection for Natural Born Killers is. No, I just love this movie to death. Much like I love the movie I Love You to Death, but maybe that's in a future episode. This this is about Serial Mom, and this introduction is supposed to give you a brief synopsis of the plot, so here I go. Beverly Sutphin is your quote-unquote typical housewife and mother. She sews, makes meatloaf, and brings fruitcake for her son's teacher at their parent-teacher conference. Pretty regular, right? Well, we soon discover she also loves prank calling and harassing a neighbor who took her parking place one time at a grocery store a long time ago. And then she kills her son's teacher. Beverly Sutphin is serial mom, a murdering mother of a fucker bringing judgment to the especially nasty, the cheating boyfriend, the condescending teacher, the mean lady who doesn't rewind her videotapes. Beverly gets caught, goes to trial, and ends up being released just to immediately kill again a lady, a juror, played by Patricia Hurst, who wears white after Labor Day. The movie is a dark comedy written and directed by the king of filth himself, John Waters. Waters, known for raunchy films like Pink Flamingos and Female Trouble and more tame ones like Hairspray and this one, has a knack for telling stories that comment on social norms, and in this one, that's exactly what he does, commenting upon what we think is right and wrong, America's true crime obsession, and the death penalty. This movie is very much anti-death penalty, so Brandon spends some time talking about that while I propose this movie becomes our movie mascot. That's it in a nutshell, so just pour yourself a big old glass of whole milk, sit down, and get ready to experience our love of John Waters on this next episode of Peculiar Picture Show. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. I am one of your hosts. I am Brandon Gregory. And I am another one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo. And today we are discussing the 1994 film Serial Mom, directed and written by John Waters, one of my favorite uh, directors and writers <laughs> and filmmakers. Um, the film stars uh, Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, Ricky Lake. Matthew Lillard, uh-huh. I think this was maybe his first film. I'm not 100% really? sure. Okay. I'm not 100% sure um, on that. It's in 1994, and I feel like this is like the golden age of movies for me. And like when I grew <laughs> up, and it was really funny because I was talking to Chris about this, and I just started looking up like the other movies during 1994. And I was like, oh, my God, these are all the movies that, like, defined my life when I was growing Uh up. So I just, like, randomly asked Chris. I didn't even tell him I was doing that. I said, Chris, if you could just off the top of your head pick a year where you think 
there were so many movies that you could relate to what it would be. And he just said 1994 off of the top of his head. So, and when I start, and, and, it, and it makes sense. And I don't know if it's because uh-huh. we, you know, Chris and I, we grew up together, like in the, when we were in high school and stuff. So it was this around the same time. So some of the movies are Natural Born Killers, which we've done a podcast oh, on. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Reality Bites. Forrest Gump came out in this year, mm-hmm. Lion King, The Crow, which was big in my, I don't know, you know, my little emo world in the I 90s. I have never seen The Crow. Yeah, it might be on the list. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, True Lies, uh, Speed, uh, Clerks, Stargates. Um, and then I was even thinking, like, he's like, well, check out the music. So then I checked out, like, the music during that time. I mean, that's the year that Kurt Cobain died. Oh, you know, yeah. The Downward Spiral came out. So 1994, I think, is a pretty, like, big year for, like, me in terms of pop culture. So mm-hmm. movies and music. So, of course, this movie is going to hold, like, a very special place in my heart because of that as well. And so... um would you know, like, if you would you be able to like pick off the top of your head like a year of movies that you think maybe? Um, I could give you a range of five years, and mm-hmm. it would be two thousand one to two thousand five. Would be my era of golden movies. That's yeah. my favorite, my sweet spot right there. Yeah, yeah. So I just I thought that was really I thought that was really cool. And you, this is your first time seeing this movie. First time seeing uh-huh. any John Waters films at all? Um, I I can't remember. I I've seen parts of Pecker. And that's mm-hmm. the movie Pecker. Yes. Um, <laughs> not, not parts of somebody's Pecker. Some, yeah, somebody's <laughs> Pecker. But um, we're real classy like that. So, exactly. um, yeah. So I can't remember. Let me let me look it up real quick. Yeah, like um, the most. So he's most known for um, uh, Hairspray. So Hairspray, which oh, yeah. became like you know the um, a musical or a musical on Broadway. I'm I'm saying. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it it is. I guess it's anyway. Anyway, I'm um, sorry. So John Waters films. Um, there's a lot of things that are in common with his films, just like a lot of other directors. So like usually his films are set in Baltimore. So that's where they're set. That's where he grew up. I, I believe he still lives there um, mm-hmm. or at least has one house there. Um, also uses lots of the same actors. Um, they're actually mm. called Dreamlanders. They're Waters regulars. Um, and so some of them that we saw in this movie, um, Mink Stoll is one of them. She plays Dottie Hinkle. Um, she's in like almost all of his movies. Um, Tracy Lords is one of them. Um, so Tracy <laughs> Lords, and you know, he's a very controversial, like he, his movies are experimental, controversial, shocking, especially like the, his earlier movies, very trashy. He even calls himself trashy. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he likes to, to call him. And so I think him using certain people in this movie is very indicative unlike his style. So one of them is Tracy Lords. So Tracy Lords, if people don't know who she is, she was way more popular back when this was <laughs> happening. She was a, a porn star. She, she plays Carl's girlfriend. She was uh-huh. a porn star and she was really known for lying about her age and doing porn before it was legal and you know and and all that <laughs> stuff. So that's Tracy Lords. Then we have Patty Hearst, so or Patricia Hearst actually. Um uh-huh. and she is the juror with white shoes. Um and um for people who don't know who Patricia Hearst is, she was known um I believe it was the 70s maybe. Oh gosh. Um she was kidnapped and brainwashed by a left-wing organization. <laughs> <laughs> um, when she was young, younger, um, she was brainwashed when she was in her early 20s. She went uh-huh. to trial, which is why it's hilarious that she's a juror. Okay. In this. I know John Waters is commenting on that shit. There, so, OK, there's a lot that went into that. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of thought that went into that, um, you know, and the whole white after Labor Day, which I think is the 
funniest part of that movie. It's one yeah. of the funniest parts of the, of the movie. She's so obsessed with wearing white after Labor Day, uh-huh. um, which I had to look <laughs> she up. Wrote that note out. Right. I was like, like dying uh, uh, to see what like, was in that note. Right, and yeah. it was like she's, she's, like she's after Labor Day, like she was. Or yeah. <laughs> I had to look up what that was. Um, I've heard of that before. I've always heard of that, and obviously from the movie. And I'm sure I've looked it up before from the movie when I was wondering. But this was back when. You know, the wealthy people would leave like their mm-hmm. urban cen- centers for the summer and they would be able to mm. wear white because it's not going to get dirty. So it was really a divide between like the poor people and the rich people, like rich of people course. were allowed to wear white, you know, because they could escape and, you know, not clean shit. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense with right. the theme of this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um and then another one is Ricky Lake. I mean, we have Ricky Lake in here <laughs> yeah. playing Misty. Um, like was I said, this sh- like before her show. Yeah, I actually okay. don't know. I think so. Actually, I think ninety four is before. Yeah. You can look it up. I think it's before her show. But um, he used her for hairspray. She's the main character in hairspray. Um, and if you guys haven't seen, if people haven't seen hairspray, um, essentially it's a movie about a white girl, a a chubby girl who wants to dance um, is told that she really can't because of her figure. Um, At the same Mm. time, this is during um, the 1960s. So they have like a a program where um, people, kids can go and dance, um, but it's segregated. So they have like the black portion once a week and then the white portion, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's a movie about racial integration and, and, and that kind of stuff. So it's cool. yeah, it's um, it, it's about you know being told that you can't do something because maybe the way you look, you know, and and it's really um, you know, and I think John Waters does a lot of that, so um, which we'll get into later. Um, that movie also stars Divine, and so Divine is a drag queen, or former he he has passed away, um, but he was known for playing women, even though he was a, a very tall overweight i guess a man you would say and Hmm. um and i think john waters like they were really good friends john waters called him like the most attractive women in the world almost (laughs) or something like his tagline for divine was like something like that um and divine was just always starred in john waters films um starred in one of the most infamous films and scenes um from john waters um outside of hairspray which is pink flamingos which was done in 1972 uh-huh. um that's more of the movie that he was more known for um in the beginning that's experimental like trashy the shocking stuff you know right. um that film is that is that from that scene in pink flamingos what do you mean? Is the, what the dog poop scene? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk about. Like okay. the whole movie. Yeah, yeah the okay. whole movie is about is about like basically the filthiest people alive. Like everything's uh-huh. filthy. Like they're all like trashy. And at the end, Divine actually eats fresh dog poop. Like the right. divine actor like, actually no eats cut. it. There's it's no just cut. Comes out of the dog. He's picks eating it up. fresh poop, and that yep. was like the most shocking thing at the time. At the you know, like that was so. Sh- I mean, as NC seventeen. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. <laughs> it's pretty shocking now, but you know, that's like that's the type of movies that you know John Waters makes. I think Serial Mom is way more tame than his other oh, yeah. films. Yeah. Um, I think it still has a lot. I think it still does a lot of the same things. Um, but it definitely is way tamer um in that aspect so john waters um is a is a gay man he is um advocates for pride for gay rights i think part of either i don't know if i added this as my original pick or i added this as one of my picks for a um 
you know, a, a, like a marginalized director or writer. I'm not 100% sure if it's, if it was either or, but, um, but it fulfills those, <laughs> mm-hmm. those things as to why it's on our list. Um, and this movie in particular, and I think a lot of his movies are influenced by gore and horror. Um, so throughout mm-hmm. the film, there are cuts, um, of, you know, the tongue being ripped out and, and things like right. that, that Beverly yeah. wants to see it, which is very interesting. And, you know, like the kids are into gore and, and horror and stuff. But, um, but those are from like films that actually like John Waters looks up to and, and he likes like those kinds of kind of B movie, trashy, like gory, shocking um, stuff like that. So, yeah. And like, it's one of those, like, I don't like gore for no reason. Um, but I actually like, I think there was a point to it in this. Um, and it's like, I, there, there's a scene in the movie walk hard where like Dewey Cox is up there just singing random nonsense. And his band is kind of <laughs> backstage, like, Oh, look at this guy. And the the drummer is like, you guys are idiots. This song is deep. And like, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy right now. This movie is deep. Like yeah. <laughs> there's actually a so lot of layers. stuff going on here. <laughs> um, and that we'll get into later later in the episode, but it's I, I think this actually makes some very intelligent statements um, on some of the issues it comments on. So um, I like I, I think you were a little worried I w- whether I would like this or not. Um, <laughs> I, I like 17 minutes and I texted yeah. Maria and I was like, I'm 17 minutes in and I love this movie already. Yeah. And she's like, OK, good. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, which, yeah, you've surprised me with a lot of movies I haven't thought I would like, like Clueless, I didn't think I would like. And it was actually a very smart movie. And this is the same thing. I was like, surreal mom like that. I, I was like, I'm not going to say anything because i got myself in trouble for that during clueless but um <laughs> but i was like oh, how is this movie gonna be and this actually is a very intelligent movie yeah um so i was you know kind of pleasantly surprised to see that it's i mean apparent just from the first few minutes but it's not until later in the film that we really get into what it's about um so yeah yeah i i enjoyed it um i probably need to watch some of these other uh, yes. John Waters films. Well, you definitely so, will what, watch Pecker because Pecker's on our list. That's yeah. on our list. Um, and that might be the only one. I th- he also did Cry Baby, which was a Johnny Depp film. I'm not as hmm. big fan of of Cry Baby. Uh, Cry Baby. I would say Serial Mom is my favorite, and Pecker. Um, uh-huh. You know, like I, 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 I can enjoy his Pink Flamingo er- area uh, era, um, where uh-huh. you know. I, I, I can appreciate it now. Um, those weren't the first movies I was introduced to when I was introduced. This was the first mm-hmm. movie I think I was actually, or Hairspray actually, probably. Um, but around the same time. Um, so maybe that's why um, this one stuck with me more. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but like like I said, those other movies are really like it's almost shocking just for shock's sake for no point Mm -hmm. which i can appreciate to some extent right but like that's just not something that when i put on a movie i'm i'm I'm, i need to see you know Mm -hmm. divine eating dog poop but yeah that's i can appreciate it so i'll always appreciate john waters whatever he does there we go ken can i ask you a question of course marion what are you crushing on I'm crushing on the new podcast more than a crush. Me too. (laughs) We might be a little biased, you know, because we're the hosts. Oh, you're right. But it's so good. Each week we pick a theme and share our story. We also have interviews and share your love stories. So tune in. It may be rotten out there, but it's warm and fuzzy in here. 
More Than a Crush podcast. Listen on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast directory. Bye. Bye. All right, Brandon. So what did you like about this film? Um, Well, I mean, the humor, I I thought just totally hit home because i mean there was the first scene where she you know the the family's like oh a woman would never say the p word mm-hmm. which is just ridiculous um and then she picks up the phone she's like hey cocksucker god that was like the most like it was perfect to set like what that movie was gonna be oh, you know yeah, yeah. It, you instantly know what you kind of movie know. this is going to be and so it's it was just a, a fantastic thing and like the the style like i mean the opening scene where they're all sitting around the breakfast table it looks like an actual like serial commercial commercial like that you see on tv it's just yep. this wholesome family sitting around the table eating breakfast um and it's <laughs> it's meant to portray that you know the yep. the wholesome cereal commercial family and so um but the humor i thought totally worked um and it's i mean for a while i just enjoyed it for the humor there are two mm-hmm. scenes that i thought really helped define this movie and um that's what clued me in as to what the movie is trying to say so the first is the church scene um and so in the church scene, um, you know, the pastor, mm-hmm. Father Father Boyce, I think his name is, says, Jesus said nothing to condemn yes. capital punishment as he hung on the cross, did he? And the congregation's like, no. No, no, you're right. And it's like, <laughs> if ever there was a time to go on record against the death penalty, wasn't it that night? Oh, capital yeah. punishment is already <laughs> the law in the state of Maryland. So what are we waiting for, fellow <laughs> Christians? Let's just do it. Um, and so like that right there, I think, is what the movie is about. Because like there's a, there's a story, a little... Um, like analogy of the the scorpion and the frog, and you may be familiar with it, but I'm going to share it anyway, um, in case some of our listeners don't know. So there was a story, it's you know, obviously a made up story, but uh, <laughs> there was a story of a scorpion and a frog, and the scorpion wanted to cross a river. Um, and so the scorpion went and found a frog and said, hey, will you ferry me across this river? And the frog's like, uh, no way, because what if I get halfway across and you sting me? And the scorpion says, well, if I do that, we'd both die. I have no reason to do that. And the frog says, okay, I'll ferry you across. And then they get halfway across and the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog is like succumbing to the poison. He's like, why did you do that? Now we're both going to die. And the scorpion just kind of shrugs and says, it's my nature. Yeah. Um, and so like, in other words, how can you expect someone to act against their nature? And it's like, I'm not saying that's a hard rule, but if somebody acts in according to their nature, like you shouldn't be surprised. Um, and so this this reminded me, what reminded me of this was the closing scene where the jurors vote that she's not guilty. And then she immediately goes and kills that juror for mm. wearing white after yes, Labor Day. And then everybody's surprised. It's like, why would you do that? And she get, just kind of shrugs as yeah. if to say, that's my nature. Um, and mm-hmm. so what is going on here is... Um, it, like I think this whole movie is an analogy about the death penalty um, is what this is getting at. And so and I think that um, that springs from its time in the 90s was a pretty hot debate. Um, but yeah, death penalty in America had pretty much always been around. But beginning in 1967, out of the civil rights movement, um, there was a movement to ban capital punishment entirely because it was there was just no logic to how it was given out. And it mm-hmm. was yeah. well, I mean, there was, but the logic was like racism and right. anti poor people It was given <laughs> to poor black people most of the time. Um, and so in this set of arguments that came up, the execution method was often the electric chair. And so they're like, that's too cruel. We can't do that. Um, 
And so this actually went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled the capital punishment as it existed then was unconstitutional and could not be carried out. And so immediately the state, you know, it would be one thing if the states are like, oh, okay, that's a good point. But no, immediately they started changing their rules. Um, so it would be constitutional <laughs> because they wanted to keep the death penalty because it made people happy. And so nearly 10 years go by. Um, and then, you know, without any death penalty you know, executions. And then a few things started happening. One is lethal injection as an execution method mm, was introduced mm-hmm. in 1977. And it was first used in Texas in 1982, because of course, it's Texas. Um, and so that became the, you know, quote, humane way of killing people. Um, but then also, at that point, a lot of people were just sick of the arguments, because the fact is, people want their death penalty, they feel right. that it's an emotional response, people it feel is. like, <laughs> criminals need to be punished with death. Um, and so then um, around that time in the early 80s, or actually 1980, we had a presidential candidate that ran on the platform of being tough on crime and giving criminals the punishment they deserve. Mm. And of course, we know that's Ronald Reagan. And so right. the number of death sentences went up in the 80s. We kind of got back to where we were of doing a lot of death sentences. Um, but then the Republicans served for three terms in office. And so the um, Democrats, who had previously been somewhat against the death penalty, realized we have to change our tactics. Um, so then a Democrat ran on the platform of being tough on crime. His name was Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. became a two-term president. Um, and actually, the number of death sentence executions continued to rise under Bill Clinton um, and actually hit the highest point they had ever been under Bill Clinton. Um, and so that's where this is um, coming from, is like, it used to be, you know, there were one side of like, we need more executions. But then all of a sudden, we have the Republicans and the Democrats are saying we need these executions. Um, and so it just seemed like everybody wanted these executions. Um, yeah, and, and you, it, and, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. I was just I don't mean to interrupt. I'm, maybe Go you're going to yeah. get into it. But we're like, one of the only like, Western civilizations that even have like countries that even have the death penalty, right? Like, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. You might get into um, that. No, like, I, don't, I don't have any stats on it, but that's oh. an excellent point. Is yeah. um, like we we do a lot more deaths than other people yeah. because there's just this mob justice in America. Exactly. Um, and so, but in the 1990s, um, in the mid 90s, which is about when this film came out, nearly 80 mm-hmm. percent of Americans supported the death penalty. Um, and so, I, I think the the point this film is trying to make is like if we're so gung-ho to punish people with death for crime like where do we draw the line Um, because I mean every person serial mom kills is somebody who is committing a crime now it's obviously not one that's punishable by death but like what is the difference is what this film is proposing it's like somebody's breaking the law this is how you look when you say we need the death penalty Um, and so like there's just so much that goes into it I kind of want to watch it again just to see how much goes into this um yeah. But like everyone, she's like they're you know bird poaching, not recycling, like, right. um, and these rules just get <laughs> arbitrarily more. Yeah, right, um, right. Everyone, oh, okay, so that she doesn't, you know, she doesn't recycle. Oh, okay, then she's then we don't believe like that. I mean, that yeah. whole scene in the court when she's like, you know, has nothing to do with what's going on, and she's like, do you recycle? And they're like, whole pause, and she's like, <laughs> like, no, oh, there's no yeah. room in my kitchen. Like, and everyone's like, oh yeah, boo. Like go hang her, you know. Like it's okay, and I think you know. Even John Waters said, like all the people who die in this movie and who get killed, like 
they're all bad people. Like, for uh-huh. the most part, like they all do shit. From that teacher who tells the lady that, you know, her son is just not college material. Some people oh, just gosh, aren't college that was material. Awful. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. to the lady who loves Annie, is such sweet little Annie and hates those horrible, like, horrific horror movies, but you're a son of the psycho and, like, goes, like, ape shit on them. Like, she's not as what she mm-hmm. seems, which you know, is part of what this movie is about too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, he has said like, it's like, yeah, like she's killing people. Killing's wrong. We're killing people using the death penalty. Killing's wrong, but apparently it's okay if these people, you know, if these people do X, Y, and Z, just like the people that Beverly mm-hmm. kills, like we're rooting for her, you know, in the movie. Yeah. So and it's like, it's just like it, it It seems like if people were just like, well, you know, this isn't a good thing, but this is the best way to deter crime. Like th- there might be some merit to that argument, but that's never the argument. The argument is like, oh, these people deserve death. It's like it's a very right. hateful, vengeful, emotional thing. Um, and so, I mean, like what Waters is saying is like, how can you expect someone to go against their nature when their nature is to kill people? Mm-hmm. Um and so I like this is just a satire, not only of, you know, white suburban life, but also the white suburban um, or I, I guess just white, not necessarily suburban like idea that we have to kill people who are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so there, there's a lot that went into that. It's it's something I didn't really catch until after the movie. I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, OK, I'm putting the pieces together. Um, but like I was reading the review of this movie from Roger Ebert. Um, he does not comment on this. In fact, he gave it a two star out of four star <laughs> review. Wow. Yeah. Um, he said it wasn't funny. Um, he oh also God, in this. Um, yeah. Yes, it's a funny movie, <laughs> but he also says movie, yeah. um, all serial killers are insane um, in this review. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I was like, thank you, Roger Ebert. And Roger Ebert, I generally like his reviews, but sometimes he just completely misses the point. And I think this is one uh, case where he missed the point. He thought it was just a satire of suburban culture. And there's, I think, more to that. I mean, it does satire of suburban culture. Um, There's a lot of things this movie does. um, (laughs) I think death penalty is the big thing this talks about. So anyway, that's that's some of the things I liked. What, uh, What about you? What did you like? So I've always loved like shocking things, you know, from from music to movies, mm-hmm. you know, so this definitely, you know, maybe part of why I like John Waters is because some of the shocking stuff and like saying things that like you just don't expect to be said out loud sometimes. And I, I like that. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely like that about the movie. Hilarious, obviously, is up there and why I like it. Some of my favorite scenes um, like we talked about the first one where she does the prank calls, but we've set it up <laughs> that she doesn't use the P word. And it's just, right. yeah. you know, such a good like starting point of where the movie is going to go. And I, I thought that was genius. And I love that um, that scene, um, like the whole pussy willows, Dottie, when she realizes <laughs> that when they walk into Scotty and he's masturbating to Chesty Morgan. Like, I just like. <laughs> That's hilarious. You see that, like, from the minute people show up on his doorstep, you know that's going to happen. And somehow it still works. It's still so so funny. And and, um, and even to the Ted Bundy, where he finds, like, the tape of Ted Bundy and he's like, it's lonely here on death row, which is another (laughs) comment on death. The death penalty, but like, yeah, like, I just I thought that this was like hilarious. Um, and even like her reaction, like (laughs) when she's doing the prank calls, how 
delighted she is to talk about to say those horrif- horrific things. She was just so excited she about those so prank calls. Happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and then she's like, "Oh, you know, I just got off the phone with you know the cable company or something." You know. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that explains it. But um, I like that the film plays with stereotypes. And I think that Mm -hmm. John Waters does this in every one of his films. You know, we have Beverly, who is the housewife, but is a serial killer. Um, We have the gore-loving teenager who turns really soft when she actually sees gore. You know, we and Mm -hmm. we have the lady who loves the sweet movie Annie, but she's actually a piece of shit. Um, You know, there's a lot of things where he says, you know, oh, is this what you thought? Like a housewife was like, well, how about if I, you know, throw you know, murdering in the mask mix, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I like the way he plays with that is I love that. I love that it's set up with the based off of real events, but it's not like, it's totally like the funniest <laughs> it's so thing. Obviously like, not. It's so yeah. obviously not, you know? So um, yeah. that really sets the tone. Um, and I also like the commentary it has with our obsession with true crime. Like, um, you know, mm. she gets quite the following, you know, and you have <laughs> the whole t-shirts yeah. outside the yeah. courthouse. Yeah, like, that's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I feel like murdering people myself. The lady says, <laughs> like, um, yeah. And I, I'm going to get into the, this more into the mental health section, but like, I just think Waters Films really tries to take what's normal and turn it on its side. You know, like yeah. they question what normal is. Um, I love L7 as Camel Lips, which is the band that's playing with their uh, their yeah, prosthetic their camel, camel lips, yeah, <laughs> uh, camel toes. Um, and I really like the score, the musical score. I didn't realize, yeah. um, you know, Chris and I were watching it together, and he's like, "Oh, ba- Basil, I don't know how to say it. Basil Polidorus is the musical score. He does a lot. He he's dead now, but he did scores for like RoboCop and Starship Troopers, oh, which is okay. like some of Paul, uh, some of it was Paul Verhoeven movies. Um, mm. And I didn't realize like how ingrained that music is. Like if you watch it, you know, and you're paying attention to the music, how it goes so along with everything that's going on, um, and uh-huh. lots of strings. I thought it was amazing and pretty cool. So. Um, those were, in a nutshell, a lot of the... I, I like everything about that movie, but if I had to list a bunch <laughs> of shit, that's what I'm going to list out about this. So Brandon, we talked about what we liked. What what did you dislike? As <laughs> um, that like I typically like um, like if it's a message movie, if there's if it's satire, I kind of like a deeper like buried message, one you kind of have to think about and dig for. And so I like this um, because it seemed like a really appropriate level of obfuscation. Like it, like mm-hmm. it kind of hides things enough to where you have to think about it um, to arrive at the conclusion. Now, like I like that, but at the same time, I realized in the movie making world that may not have been the best decision because I think so many people miss the point because of that. Um, and so I like, I think this actually is a very smart comment on the death penalty and like the politics surrounding that. But I, I'm willing to say at least 80% of the people mm-hmm. who saw this movie have no idea that this is about the death penalty. Yeah. Um, because it's just so subtle. Um, and it's like, it's not like, 
Donnie Darko subtle where it's so subtle that like you just yeah, never you don't even realize. know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, like, like I, I, th- I picked this up my first time through. It made sense. Um, but like, it just to, to really get a message like that across, you have to make it like exceedingly obvious. And so I think this was just a little too clever for its own good um, with the, <laughs> you're too smart, John Waters. <laughs> yes. And so, and so I hate dumbing down movies like that, but right. I, I have to admit that if you want people to get your message, you have to dumb it down a bit. Um, and so there's that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of what else I didn't like about this. Um it, like initially when I started the movie, I was worried it was going to be uh, like one joke that played out too long, but it's managed to stay fairly fresh throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know that there's a lot I disliked about the movie. Um, I just I wish more people would kind of see it for what it is, you know? Right. Yeah. So what about you? Did you dislike anything about I, this? I don't have anything down. Like I, this is like like one of my favorite movies. So like I'm not going to be able to find that many faults in it. Mm-hmm. I watched it again for the who knows how many times I've seen this a lot. I've seen it a lot. Um, I hadn't seen it. Actually, maybe the last time I saw it was less than a year ago. So it still holds true. Like that's how often I watch this. Maybe at least mm-hmm. once a year. Um, <laughs> and um, like. I just really don't Yeah, I'm I'm drawing a blank for this one. I really don't have much to say on the disliking front. There we go. So now that we've talked about um, liking and disliking, let's move on to our mental health so section. So, Brandon, what do you think this film is saying about mental health and does it get get it right? Um, like there are so many directions i could have gone even within like the confines of the death penalty like what does death penalty do to the people on death row that sort of thing i didn't go that direction i'm instead just going to have a moral argument about the death penalty so that's that's how i'm using my time um but i mean why do we have the death penalty at all is the big question here um right and so i i pulled up some stats on the death penalty and from 1973 to 1995. So what is that? 22 years, mm-hmm. two thirds of death penalty cases were overturned on appeal. Um, and so two thirds of those cases were thrown out after the fact, but the most common reasons cited were incompetent counsel, inadequate investigative services, or the police and prosecutors withholding exculpatory evidence. So in other words, the justice system failed. Yeah. And two thirds of these cases are just not the cases, but the um, penalties are just being thrown out because they realize after the fact like oh sorry we shouldn't have done that we're dealing with a fucking death penalty right here. this like, is like, a, like you can't you go saying, back like, oh we got that one wrong right? like yeah one so, wrong one is wrong <laughs> is so wrong like that's the thing yeah. it's like <laughs> it's like sorry about that <laughs> whoops and so, yeah um and then like it gets even more egregious when you realize that for a long time and maybe even still now I didn't even check on the stats now but uh for a long time they would actually ask jurors how do you feel about the death penalty and if they said I'm against it like you're out of there yeah, I you would can't never be a appeal. juror if yeah. you're against the death penalty you have to be for the sense. death penalty to make a juror yeah. um and so there's this heavy skew toward punishment like above and beyond right. that of the normal population 
Um, and then like, it would be one thing if, again, this was applied, you know, somewhat reasonably and rationally, but it's not. It's not. Like if the you victim can't. is rich and white, you're much yes. more likely to get a death penalty. If the assailant is black or Hispanic, mm-hmm. much more likely to get a death penalty. Um, and then like studies have actually shown that jurors frequently don't understand the legal process. Like, you know, that's why I think 12 angry men should be required viewing for like all Americans is like, it's just like, I've it's never not, seen like, that. Well, I, it's it's actually really good. Uh, maybe we should do that sometime. Yeah. But um, it's like it really makes you think about the judicial process and the legal process. And it's not just about, well, I think he's guilty or he's clearly a bad person and clearly did that. Like it's so much more than that. And jurors frequently don't understand that and they make emotional decisions rather than legal ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> this means that whatever biases the jurors walk in the door with inform the verdict. So bias creates statistics which reinforce bias. Um, and so so, like, I've heard a number of racist people, and like, this is casually racist people say in my life, like, well, I'm not racist, but I just believe there's something to statistics. And it's this mm. bias that then creates more statistics that reinforce that bias, and it just leads to this system of oppression. And so, um, one percent of murder cases result in death penalty, and of that, most are poor people. And why is that? Well, it's because wealthy people can afford better lawyers. Um, it's, it's yep. like it's a, uh, I don't even know what video. There was some video game where one of the characters said, "Like if the punishment for a crime is a fine, then that punishment only applies to poor people." Um, and I was like, "That's such a perfect summary of this." Oh my because God, yeah. You look at rich people who are able to afford the best lawyers. Like yeah. very few of them get the death penalty. Very oh, few of, of them you know, like get charges at all all um and so there was and then like you know this is supposed to deter crime of course um at least that's that's what people say it's for but there was an international study of criminal violence uh, they analyzed data from 110 nations over a period of 74 years and they found that the death penalty does not in fact deter criminals um and so um yeah because <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's, just thinking about like statistics there. I mean, yeah. anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like, you know, somebody is like, oh, I'm going to commit a murder, but I'm going to think very rationally about this murder right? beforehand. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm, I'm going to think through, like, wait, let me look up the laws on the death penalty in my state. Let me make and sure. And don't make my decision about them murder. Like, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> murders are committed in high emotion moments and fits of rage and so it's not like they say like i'm gonna kill you it's not but a first let me look thing. up on my phone what are the laws about the death penalty my state no it's like that people aren't really like thinking rationally when they're committing a murder most of the time and so there there is a premeditated murder that is a separate charge um but most murders are committed like just irrationally in, mm-hmm. in high emotion moments. And so, like, I, you know, I'm going off on all these tangents, but that goes back to the question, why do we have the death penalty? Right. Um, and so there doesn't appear to be any logic or consistency in how the death penalty is applied, objectively speaking. Now, of course, there is. And it's like I said, it's the bias that reinforces statistics. Um and so the death penalty is an emotional reaction to a dramatic and terrible event. And so it is a terrible event, um, but it is an emotional reaction because a lot of people don't understand what the legal process is. They make an emotional decision based on how much they hate this person. Um, 
But right. I mean, like in that light, if they're making an emotional decision to kill someone, is that any different than the person who made an emotional decision to murder someone? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole point this movie is making. It's like there is no difference There's if no you're making difference. an emotional decision. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I mean, we as humans, we have this intrinsic sense of justice. And I've mentioned this before that we like we love movies where there's this intrinsic sense of justice where the asshole gets what's coming to him in the end and the the plucky hero you know gets gets good things in the end he gets the girl in the end he lives happily ever after and his you know the the villain ends up being a fry cook at mcdonald's for the rest of his life or something like that yeah um and like this is just so deeply embedded like you think like most religions out there put forth the idea that there's a force a cosmic force that creates justice even where there doesn't seem to be any um and like i'm saying this as a devout christian so i'll get into that in just a second here but even non-theistic beliefs um like you know there's the non-theistic belief of buddhist karma which i think Mm -hmm. a lot of even non-buddhists believe that like if you do bad things bad things will be coming for you um or, I mean, how many times have you been talking to somebody at a bar and they say something like, well, everything happens for a reason? Yes. Um, so, I mean, there are just so many different versions of this in theistic and non-theistic um, beliefs because this is just such an embedded part of who we are as humans. And so, like I, I mentioned, I'm a devout Christian, so I, I believe that there is a cosmic force out there. Uh, but at the same time, I'm an existentialist. And so that's an odd mix, a Christian existentialist. We do exist. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, like, I, I believe... Um, one of the existential creeds is existence precedes essence. In other words, we are born without meaning and the meaning we see in life is the meaning we create for ourselves. And so yes. we want to see justice, but we can never just assume it will happen. The justice we see in this world needs to be the justice we create in it and it has to be applied rationally. And so we can't think irrationally and just hope for justice to occur. We can't come in with our biases and hope for justice to occur. And so this is no longer a mental health argument. This is me getting on a soapbox right. and talking about morality, but I think it's an important thing to say. So anyway, like that is what I thought about this movie. And this film seems to be pretty in line with that. And so I I don't have any hard statistics to back this up. Um, But I think this film actually spoke very intelligently about this. So that's that's what I'm doing with my time. So Right. Yeah. And I know like I've taught. And so when I started college and not at Rollins, but I went to Mm -hmm. community college beforehand, I joined Amnesty International to try to, the main thing is to try to abolish the death penalty. And that was like Mm -hmm. the main reason why I, why I chose that. I mean, you make one faulty something you execute one innocent person and the the whole system should fall but like how mm-hmm. is that an okay uh casualty for that and you know when you bring up as an adult um i'm i'm vocal about it and people start mentioning death penalty i say i don't believe in that like i just don't i don't think mm-hmm. anyone should be executed um you you we don't have the the way to to judge people that is going to be non biased. There's so many different reasons why I am against the death penalty, but and a there's, lot of there's very little rational reason for it, right? Yeah, like I can't think of a, an actual reason, but they they always say, well, what if someone murdered your ex? You would want that person killed, and and I don't think that that is a good argument. You can't ever know. First of all how you're going to react if somebody, if something hasn't happened yet. You know, a lot of the comments I get is, I don't know how you survive brain surgery. I would never have been able to do that. 
Well, I'm sure you could have. I'm sure you could. Guess what? I probably thought of that before. I, but once you're faced with it and once it yeah. happens, then then you can talk a little bit more intelligently about like what your feelings and what kind of reaction you should be. So their argument is always like that. It never comes from somebody who's actually had somebody murdered so that they would know. Uh-huh. But they just think so if someone murdered X, it's always if someone murdered my daughter, if someone murdered my mother. And I hate when people say that, too, because I do think – I hate the argument of, well, I'm a feminist because I have a mother. So we only have value. (laughs) Women only have value then if we are related to you in a motherly way, a sisterly way or a daughter way. Uh, I'm not going to be a mother. Does that mean I have less value? (laughs) Like, so anyway, I I just, you know, I, 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 I did, I, I like. The movie, and I love the scene with the church and how they <laughs> with the whole death penalty, and and I saw uh-huh. a lot of the capital like, punishment. What are we waiting for? So, yes, <laughs> yeah. Let's just do it. Mm, yeah, and they all just agree <laughs> blindly with you know the leader. Right. It's it's mm-hmm. it's very telling. Um, so for mental health for for my side, I went a little bit in a different route, and I would like to propose that this movie be the official movie mascot for our podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Just because I feel like John Waters does what we are trying to do with our podcast. I think that he is trying to break down social norms, stigmas, and things related to maybe marginalized people or people who live outside of the so-called norm and kind of right, tries to make us rethink like what we think about what people and how we think they should be. So like, for example, serial killers, guess what? They're also housewives, like, you know, um, cops, you know, cops and, and people who are quick to judge, but you know, they love chicks with dicks and like, you know, reading, (laughs) you know, I think a lot of it is taking what we think should happen turning it on its side for us to think that maybe what our preconceived notions of what we're thinking about, like what we think about mental illness and mental health is not really what is actually happening because, you know, of society and all X, Y, and Z and all that stuff. And so I really think that he, you know, takes that kind of stuff and just kind of does what what, what we try to do is we're trying uh-huh. to talk about things. We're trying to make things um, more visible, visible to try to help eradicate the stigma that is around mental illness. And I think he does that in a lot of his films about like what people think of homosexuals, about what people think of, you know, women. Like There's just so many different mm-hmm. things that he takes and what normal actually means. And to me, that's really what this podcast is about. And so I, I don't have anything specific in this movie there's a lot of times where they call her a psycho and i think that that actually kind of plays into what i'm saying like this whole movie every single thing that you see you should be thinking the opposite you know what i mean i think he sets that up from the beginning by saying this is a real story based on real events it's not. <laughs> so that means yeah. everything I see, I need to question it. So every time Beverly is called a psycho, we should question it, you know, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so I really, uh, um, so maybe doesn't have that much to say about mental health in that way. But in terms of fighting stigma against people who are marginalized and don't really have a voice, I think this movie does a good job. Mm hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it's, I, I really like this film. And so I, I could get behind that. <laughs> so. Good. Okay.
You want to pick our next movie? movie yes. Picker? Let me pick our next movie. So um, this is another Maria pick. Um, it is the two thousand. It is the two thousand and seven film. There will be blood. Oh, I have not seen this. Okay, good. So yeah, it's yeah. really good. I know, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, like it was up for best picture. I think that year, but it didn't. I don't think it won. Um, mm-hmm. There was the other one, No Country for Old Men, that came out the yeah. same time that one. I think, but um, but yeah, I like this movie. I wanted to see it again. It is one that I um that Chris has never seen, and I keep saying, "Do you want to watch There Will Be Blood?" So this will be an excuse because every single time I see it, I'm like, "Chris, do you want to watch There Will Be Blood?" So I am going to read the description of it for people who don't know. Um, okay, so. Ruthless silver miner turned oil prospector Daniel Plainview moves to oil-rich California, using his adopted son H.W. to project a trustworthy family man, family man image. Plainview cons local landowners into selling him their valuable properties for a pittance. However, local preacher Eli Sunday suspects Plainview's motives and intentions, starting a slow-burning feud that threatens both their lives. So really, it's set back... A while ago, <laughs> I can't even tell you about an oil man um, who cons people, kind of. So that's the gist of it. It might be a little slow, I would say, for people who haven't seen it um, in the beginning. Um, so we'll, I'm interested to see what you think. All right. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to have lots to say. It's I've heard nothing but good things about this film. Yeah, so. I like it. Yeah. So. All right. All right. So now that we've learned what we're going to be viewing next time, what would you would you like to take us away? <laughs> take us away. All right. Uh, so we are Peculiar Picture Show, a podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. You can find us online at peculiarpicture.show. That is our website. You can stream all episodes there. You've got links to our social media profiles and some other information on there. Additionally, I write my own movie reviews at brandontalksmovies.com. And I have some of my mental health writing at monsteronmyback.pub. So that's what I got. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.